We're going to pick up Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. It says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lusanias, tetrarch of Abilene, Texas. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Let me repeat that. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's quite a preacher. He has, like me, the gift of preaching a church down to a manageable size. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, Indeed, I baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire. Let's just let that resonate. There we go. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased, Chapter 4, hang on, if you're tired, I have to stand the whole time, so stop it. (laughs) Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit had descended upon him, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry, no duh. The devil said to him, if you, if you are the son of God, basically we both know you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, 
All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever, to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Interesting, Satan quoting scripture. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee And news of him went out through all the surrounding regions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word as we take a look at this picture of your baptism. We pray, Lord, that you would instill in us the truth of this passage, that we would be forever changed and empowered by your spirit as you were empowered. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. So as I said earlier, the Schofield Bible in the 1900s basically was used to split the body of Christ, and here we are today with dispensationalists, uh, charismatic, Pentecostals, cessationists, and uh, the room is filled with folks even now that uh, have this view and trying to figure it all out. But we have a unique picture here of the baptism of John in the wilderness, and the picture that we see in this baptism is one of repentance. And I like this picture, it's an old school picture, and there's John, and he's got that little halo over his head, and the water's dripping, and and that's kind of to confirm that it's a sprinkling as opposed to a submersion. It was a full submersion, Uh, they went to town, and the location out in the wilderness where this baptism occurred. Uh, If you go to, well, well, let me correct that. When we go to Israel in May, uh, we'll baptize a number of folks in the Jordan, which is where Jesus was baptized. But we're going to be in a location that God used Pastor Chuck Smith and a number of other pastors to develop this site. And it's a lovely site, shade trees, uh, calm waters, uh, entrance into it, you see these fish in there. It's really beautiful, and you baptize, and you get to wear a robe, and you have showers, and it's just so delightful, <laughs> really lovely. But if you want to go to the site where, where John baptized Jesus, you got to go down into the wilderness, which is the desert area, on your way to uh, the Dead Sea. And uh, you're right there on the border uh, of Israel, and I think it's Syria, Jordan, I can't remember which, but it's on the other side. You see these gnarly looking guys with guns, um, and and uh, on on the Israeli side, um, and 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 there nobody gets baptized. And the reason why is it's further downstream, and all the silt and the nasty stuff goes all the way down there, and it's it's literally like being uh, uh, baptized into silt. It is just, it's just, you go under and you just come up covered in dirt. I mean, it's, it's like chocolate milk rolling down. It's, it, and I, I've been there twice. I've never seen anyone baptized in that water. You don't even want to put your foot in it. And they've built this baptismal site for those who really want to do old school, and nobody really does. Um, but that was the site where Jesus was baptized, right, in that location, and it's interesting. And, it, and, and really, John was, and we've studied him, and we've gone through the book of Isaiah, and he is the Elijah. He's the one making straight the way of the Lord. 
And uh, it, we also know that he was related to Jesus. Uh, he was six months older than Jesus. And uh, Elizabeth, his mom, and, and his, his father were both passed. And he went and lived with what they called the Essenes out in the wilderness, uh, wearing camel hair and eating locusts. And he was an intense guy. And here he is out in the wilderness uh, calling for a baptism of repentance. And all these folks are coming out there. Their hearts are heavy. Uh, they're realizing something's wrong with my life. I want to get right. And they say, what, what must we do? He'll turn to the tax collector. He said, don't take more than you're, accustomed, than you're required to take. He'll say to the soldiers when they cry out, what must we do? He says, don't accuse anyone falsely because they come in and you know, just do these uh, Gestapo jackboot kind of uh, approaches to the populace. And, and he says to these folks, you know, if you have a tunic, give one away, if you can have the ability to feed. So he's calling them to this idea of, of a community that operates within the context of moral knowledge, doing what's right uh, for the entirety of the community, not just believers, but for people themselves, and to step in and make a difference. And, and this is that baptism of repentance, and he's calling them to it. And I just gave you the portion of scripture there in Luke 3, 3. And he went into the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And what's fascinating about this baptism of repentance, uh, one fellow shows up. And when he shows up, and we see this also in Matthew, uh, it's Jesus. And he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie. And as, as Jesus comes, and you can see this in the other captions of scripture, he comes and he says, let it be so for the fulfillment that I be baptized by you. And John says, I, I, sh- I should be baptized by you. He says, no, we're going to do this. Uh, you're going to baptize me. And in this picture um, of this baptism, uh, John baptizes Jesus. And when he does, it says that the spirit descends on him in the form or like a dove. And it's just this picture of the Holy Spirit coming and filling, and it's synonymous with the baptism of repentance. Of course, Jesus didn't need to be repent. He didn't need to repent. He was sinless. Um, and, and as he's baptized, the Holy Spirit falls upon him, and there's this amazing move of God, and everyone witnesses that, and, uh, and, and John is touched by it, and all the people present. Now, immediately following that, what we saw is after this baptism, the Holy Spirit, because Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit, drives him into the wilderness, into the desert. And Jesus, being led by the Spirit into this desolate place, then goes without food for 40 days. And the scripture says, and he was hungry. And, and that's where I kind of said, no, duh. Uh, you'd be hungry after 40 days. I, I did a 14-day fast, and I was hungry. Uh, you, 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 40 days, I can't imagine it. But the, the picture, and I've shared this before, the picture is this. The human body, uh, when it does the fasting, and we've covered the picture of fasting, when the human body goes through fasting, it starts to consume the fat stores that it has, and, and then it begins to take non-essential tissue, whether it be muscle mass or, or things of that sort. And you can imagine Jesus, after 40 days, emaciated. Um, and, and then what happens is the body, after three days of fasting, typically, uh, the hunger pangs dis- dissipate. They go away. Uh, you, you don't even really look for food or even consider food. Um, and, and as it's being led by the Lord, this is, this is Jesus's strength that he's enduring, uh, the hunger pangs are gone. You're not craving food. You're not even thinking about it. The first three days, you, you just can't stop thinking about food. But after that, it's amazing what occurs. If any of you have ever gone to the three-day period of fasting, uh, the, the hunger pangs shut down. And they don't return until the body is in a critical state 
where it has consumed all of the non-essential tissue, meaning tissue that wouldn't hinder the life of, of the body itself. But when it has to then start to consume uh, organs, and this is where you see these, these, these babies in Africa with bloated bellies, it's because... Um, the hunger is so severe that the the organs it starts to con- the body starts to consume itself, and it's taking away essential nutrients from uh, the the cells that are contained in in vital organs, and the bloated bellies and the same starts to take place, and really, the hunger becomes so intense is really what the body is saying at forty days, which is the extent for the most part that somebody can fast. What the body is saying is, I'm I'm putting back all of of the reminders that you need to eat and this light switch goes on and the body is craving food. Uh, you're ravenous and the reason why is the body's basically saying if you don't get food, you're going to do irreparable damage that will ultimately lead to your death. So at that 40 day point when it said he was hungry, those had kicked in. And when Satan appears to him at this emaciated state where his body is being compromised and if he doesn't get food within a very short period of time, he will be dead. And Satan then appears on the scene and he says to him, you and I both know you're dying and you and I both know you're the son of God. So turn these stones to bread. And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every temptation that Satan put forward to him, uh, he, he faced with the word of God itself. He was fully God and fully man, but never, in, never overcame anything without, uh, by using his, his deity. He operated in the context of, of what we all possess, um, men and women guided by the Spirit of God and filled with the Word of God. But being driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, fully filled by the Spirit of God, here he is at a critical stage where his body is failing him and man being a trichotomy body, soul, and spirit. The Spirit is dictating, you're going to be fine. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. And there at that moment uh, when these temptations come, one of the most fascinating aspects of it in the time of this temptation is when uh, the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. What had happened in the Garden of Eden is God had given Adam and Eve the ability and gave them the keys to the kingdom to tend the earth and to be stewards over the earth. And when they sinned, they basically turned over that authority to Satan himself because they had yielded and taken the exit sign uh, by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now Satan, in a sense, held the deeds to it because of the failure of man. The deed had been given to them. They had yielded it to Satan. And now Satan was the ruler of this world. And he had started to establish himself in government entities and the like. And here John comes out with this baptism of repentance saying to um, soldiers and tax collectors and people in general, uh, yes, your world is falling apart and the, and the instruments and the principles of Christ uh, aren't existing in the way in which you t- treat one another and this moral knowledge has been dissipated. And if we're going to, to turn away from what we've been doing to what God wants us to do, this is what's required. This is what it looks like. But within ourselves, we don't have that, that ability. Those things I want to do, I don't do. And those things I don't want to do, those I do. The Apostle Paul wrote, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And, and here, Satan says, I have the authority to give this to you. There's one catch. All you have to do is worship me. 
Jesus didn't contend with him and say, no, no, you don't have the authority. Jesus didn't question that. He knew he had the authority. He knew he had the deed. And, and at that moment, he just simply said to him uh, uh, that, that uh, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Um, and so what was this baptism, and, and how is it that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness for this intense meeting with the, the prince of all demons and, and the leader of complete evil and incarnate evil? What was it that drove him, and what was this baptism? It's interesting that we saw John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and I want us all to understand that here we have uh, what, what appears as you open it up, and you'll see the lid later when we do this, it almost looks like a sarcophagus. It's this tomb. Uh, there's stairs that go down here and stairs that exit there, and it almost looks like you enter into this tomb and then you exit the tomb, and it's, it's kind of creepy, and then you fill it with water, and, and then we do this weird thing where you come up in front of all these people who are nicely dressed, and we dip you in water, and then you come out wet, and you know, and you have to make a public spectacle of this. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised anyone would ever want to do that. Okay, good. And yet, people were going out into the wilderness and, and, and crying out, wanting to change. Repentance means to change. They wanted something different. And how does this equate? And, and when you get dipped into the water, I remember being baptized and thinking, this is a wonderful day for me. And, and, uh, and then coming out of the water and just feeling r- refreshed. And what was fascinating to me is the minute I went in and came out, there was a joy. But shortly after that, I just started to resume to my old traits and my old characteristics, thinking to myself, what was it? Well, it was a public profession of faith. I was, I was declaring myself, uh, uh, associating myself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and I want the world to know I'm a follower of Jesus. The water baptism... In all of scripture, and you can do your own study through the book of Acts, every time there was a water baptism from the book of Acts on, they always came out and it was synonymous not only with the the physical water baptism, but also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They came together. Here you have people being baptized under repentance, but there's no power of the Spirit falling upon them. And in addition, when Christ is baptized, when he comes out, something unique happens. You can see this picture. The Holy Spirit comes upon him in the form of a dove. So what is this picture of? Well, Paul would write of it in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says here, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved, raised up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places. The idea is the water represents death to ourselves. We were dead in trespasses, and as we come out of the water, we're made alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved, not by works. It's a gift of God, so no man can boast. And he raises us up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, this idea of authority in heavenly places. John wrote in John chapter 7, he said, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, what do we have here? Now put on your thinking caps and stay with me, and I know... You may have had a long night last night, but this is important. Everyone being dipped into the water was under repentance. I I just want to do it different. 
But when Christ comes into the water and comes out, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. What's the difference? The difference is this. Christ had no sin. And when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. For you and I, who say being baptized by John before Jesus is crucified, his, his body is given as a sacrifice for the remission of our sins, that he would be glorified and beat death. We are trusting by faith, but when we would go under the water, we wouldn't have this power because our sins were still not completely covered and paid for. And it's this picture that Christ had not yet been glorified and the Holy Spirit hadn't been given. And once this occurs, that Jesus' death upon the cross, he said one Greek word that equates to three in our English language, he said tetelestai. It's the word that you would put on the front of a house after the last mortgage payment has been paid. And tetelestai means paid in full. Covered. It's all paid for. So when he said on the cross to Telestai, he said, it's done. I have now paid for your sins. The price has been paid. We talk about this, 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 this blood, this river of blood that we're dipped in <clears throat> and we come out and we're washed and cleansed. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. He bled out every drop. And that, that blood is is sufficient for all the world's sins. All. Only efficient for those who call upon the name of the Lord and receive that gift of forgiveness. God extends it to all mankind. And he says, it's finished. I did it. And of course, we know what happens. The grave doesn't hold him because he was without sin. He paid the price. He rose from the grave. He was given a glorified body, a brand new one. And, and at this picture... We know that there was this great commission, but before we get to that, I want you to see this picture that Peter says in Acts chapter 2. He says, repent, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you're baptized for the remission of sins. I'm associating myself with the death burial and then the resurrection of Christ, and with this picture of being cleansed because he's been glorified and the price has been paid, now his spirit falls upon mankind, and we're given these gifts. Gifts. Uh Uh-oh. Some folks are going, those gifts died with the apostles. I don't know about you, but I think we sure could use some right now. Jesus said in John 14, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. For the first three centuries, for the first three centuries after the uh, resurrection of Christ, we didn't have a written scripture with the exception of the Old Testament. Where, Where did they, they didn't have the 66 books of the Bible, they had to recount. We have Luke's recounting of it. He was, he was doing diligent efforts to interview and write these things down. Where did they come up with the epistles to the Ephesians and Colossians and, and to the Philippians and to the Corinthians? This is the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance all things that he had said to them. 
They're writing them down and they're bringing it for future generations. And we've now come to a place where we have two portions of the body of Christ. We have those intellectuals that believe the word is all that we're about and we don't need the gifts. And we have the others that want to see the gifts but have abandoned the word and we've both gone like this. One has become intellectual with no power and the other's sought after power and has no bearing and no barometer and they've gone off the, the rails. How do we bring the body of Christ back? These two things are must be done together, this baptism and this idea of the spirit and the word and with truth. And, and the two of them come together. John 16 would later go on to say, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The glorification would happen at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ and this power would come upon Christ and he would, he would say to them uh, at the conclusion of Matthew chapter 28, he'd give them an enormous calling and a burden in a sense. He would say to them in Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. Jesus came and spoke to them. Now he's a glorified body, he's resurrected. He appears to them, this is the last chapter of the book of Matthew and he says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Wait a minute. Who had the authority over the earth prior to this? Didn't Satan say, I have the keys, I'm in charge? Anyone tracking that? How did he get authority now? He paid the penalty. He took the deed from Satan by the simple declaration that his blood would be shed for the remission of sin, and by grace, he took the authority from Satan. He now has the keys to the kingdom. They're all his. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All authority, and the word all in the Greek means all. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the... Everybody born on your birthday, raise your hand. I want to make sure you're still with me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of people. Nations. Uh, Go, therefore, and make converts through revivals and crusades. No, make disciples of all nations. Nation is boundaries, borders. Some people think, well, this is, this is to preach it to every tongue and tribe. And once we've reached every, uh, you know, uh, tribe, then, then Christ will return. That's not what it says. It's not even remotely what it says. The idea is to make disciples of nations, to, to empower them. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing who? Nations. nations. How do you do that? Everybody in the, you know, we're going to flood America with water and everybody go under. Blah, blah, blah. How do, you, how do you baptize nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, the scripture says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The idea is, you are, in a sense, leaven. You are the instruments of God to infuse and touch a nation. You are called, you're the ecclesia, you're the church. The church is an assembly, a gathering. It's not a building, 
Ecclesia are those that some of you in the room have this unique ability. And I was talking with one individual who's in Florida. He had left California to go to Florida to pursue his acting. He had, he had worked in Hollywood, but he knew that a number of the movies were being done in Atlanta and his family was in Florida and he could easily commute back and forth between the two states. And he, he said, you know, I just feel this calling and it's a burden and I, I really feel called back to L.A. He said, why would anyone come back to L.A.? And, and I, I said, do you know that you are an ordained minister into Hollywood? You're the ecclesia into Hollywood. You're part of this assembly to, to bring this into the nations. And this ecclesia happens whether you're an administrator in a school, whether you're a council member in a city, whether you're a teacher in a school, whether you're in Hollywood, whether you're in a business, whether uh, you're doing any of these things, you're part of this ecclesia. You're, you're being infused into the world to baptize them into these ideas of teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And this idea of touching nations with the presence of Christ, we have, we have made Christendom uh, a four-walled adventure where we think that we are supposed to harvest these folks who have made professions of faith and we put them on ice in a freezer awaiting transfer to heaven. We just got a bunch of frozen fish and we're going to send them to heaven. And God says, no, you're the ecclesia. You're to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You're to be used profoundly to touch the world for Christ. How do you do that? Well, it comes back to what we were separated from and where the body of Christ is struggling today, and it's this idea that baptism and the presence of the Holy Spirit are synonymous. Look at Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power, dunamis, dynamite power, explosive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The idea is you will baptize nations. You'll begin in your own hometown. You're going to do that by being the ecclesia in every way, shape, and form. And the first thing is what John said. The principles of God equate to the needs of man. You have two tunics? Give one away. Are you in the military? Be honest. Are you a tax collector? Do it right. The principles govern us, and you have been placed with unique giftings in each of these areas. You're commissioned and you're ordained to accomplish this. And you do this when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, this power, this dunamis power. It's supernatural. It's beyond your own ability that you can turn to God. And the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of God. Fascinating to me that as I, I was in the midst of, of the things that we were facing as a city and not knowing what I was supposed to do. And I was just saying simply, God, would you fill me? Holy Spirit, fill me. Would you give me wisdom beyond my abilities? Would you give me discernment? Would you allow me to understand this? As we're taking a look at the Homeless Commission in Thousand Oaks, we can all sit down and, and talk about uh, the solutions to the homeless issue in Thousand Oaks. And some of you are going, well, we don't want any here because it reduces the property value. I get that. And I have, I have worked hard to earn what I have, and I don't need somebody out in front of one of our businesses making the city a derelict city. And we certainly don't want any place to house them. I understand that. And others are saying, we need to bring in all the homeless and take care of them, and we need to do this. That's great. Are they going to live with you? We need government funding to make sure that, okay. Where is the solution to this? Well, the one thing is we're, we're trying to figure it out with our selfishness and our temporal minds when God is saying, call on me and I'll show you great and mighty things you know not of. 
Where is the community that gathers in prayer waiting upon the Lord as we're seeking to do on Sunday nights and saying, God, would you give us an answer to this? Would you help our administrators in our school? Would you help our, our council members? Would you help those that, have, that are officials? Would you help those leaders? Would you give them wisdom? Would you show us application for things that we haven't even considered? And would you bring all of these together through your divine wisdom and through the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit, bringing all things to remembrance that we would wait upon you and you would show us these things? And who has the authority over government now? Who has the ability to move the hearts? The, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he guides it like a water course. And don't forget exactly what Satan had said to Jesus in Luke 4. He said, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. I have that power. Well, no longer does he have that power. Take a look at Colossians chapter 2. Buried with him in baptism, the sarcophagus here, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him, which comes out the other side, raised with him through faith, and you've been saved by faith and grace. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You say, God, would you forgive me? I believe that your death on the cross was sufficient for my sins and efficient for those who call upon you, and I receive your forgiveness, and I ask your cleansing, and I want to have a new lease on life, and I want to be a, make a difference in my community. And God says, through faith and the working of God, I will raise you from the dead. You're going to be dead to yourself. You're going to be alive to Christ. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All right, you're forgiven. I give this to you. And you're like, oh, so refreshing. But he goes further. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, and he's having nailed it to the cross, and he's disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He basically said, Satan, I'll take that deed, thank you very much, pounds it on the wall, paid in full, I am now in authority over heaven and earth, and these are my ecclesia, my assembly to accomplish this. Thy will be done on heaven, in heaven as it is in, on, on earth as it is in heaven. That's baptism. It's not one or the other, it's both. You see, this idea of baptism is a very interesting Greek word that we struggle with. And we think that baptism is a dipping. And actually, when it was originally done in the original translation of it, it was two words that are very unique. And it wasn't understood completely how they worked. One was this idea of a submersion, and the other was an in, uh, a filling, a permeating. And, and you, you couldn't quite understand the term of baptism. We just think it was a dipping. We don't understand about this infusing until we came across the writings of a, of a Greek scholar. And, and here in the second century, he did this description of it by using the original word in the Greek for what was used in this picture of what we see of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was interesting how he did it. He used this term, and I, and I was thrilled because I love pickles. I love pickles. Just absolutely love them. There's nothing like a good crisp pickle, you know? Chilled and just a little crunchy, but not soft. Just like a little snap to it, but still, you know, and then, ooh, if you put the right kind of combination in there with a little dill and, 
<laughs> nice pastrami sandwich with a sliced few bad. Ooh. And I always ask for extra pickles. I love pickles. And the process for pickling is interesting. You take these fresh vegetables, and pickling is something where you pick them in the summer, and then you want to keep them through the winter. And you want to pickle them in a brine where they're preserved. And what has to happen is you take these, these, these vegetables, and they don't have to just necessarily be, be cucumbers, but you take these vegetables, and they have a skin on the outside similar to what we have. And how do you get through the skin so that the, the, the salt can bring that preservation and get in to the body of, of, of the vegetable itself. You have to blanch it. You gotta put it into hot water. And, 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 and you dip it into hot water, and it's a blanching process. You put it in so that the skin becomes permeable, and then you pull it out quickly so it doesn't cook and become soft. You want that crunch. You drop it immediately into ice, and you chill it. Then you put it into the jars, and you add the brine. And that brine and that pickling process, here's the blanching process that you can see where you, you put them in the water and then you put them in the, the ice immediately. But then this pickling process, what you see here is baptism. You see, there's the initial dipping, but then there's the infusion and the filling of the Holy Spirit where it, you are saturated with the wisdom and the power of God to become the ecclesia, or the ecclesia, the ecclesia, this assembly where two or more are gathered. He's in the midst. Oh, we come here for teaching. We come here for gathering. We come here for prayer. We come here to break bread together. This is a wonderful place to come. But the true power of the body of Christ, the church, the assembly, is wherever you reside. You are now baptized with power to accomplish this supernatural task with supernatural power. This is what Christ was given, and this is what we now have. And the difference is, the reason why the folks in the wilderness were saying, what do I do now? God laid it out, and he said, this is what you're supposed to do. And they're thinking, I can do that, but ultimately, I, I fail. Why is Jesus' baptism different? He didn't have any sin Holy Spirit came upon him. What did he do? He went 40 days supernaturally, engaged with the most wicked, evil entity ever designed in, in all of God's creation, and contended with simply the power of the word of God and, and was sustained and lifted up by heavenly angels. And God, the Father, surrounded him and blessed him and empowered him. And facing these trials and these temptations and the strength of the Spirit of God at that moment when he had gone through this baptism and gone through this testing and permeated and filled and saturated, what did he do? By the power of the Spirit, he went in and began his public ministry. And the first words out of his mouth in his public ministry was repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Change. I want to change, but I don't know how. That which I want to do, I don't do. How? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And it's at this moment that Christ is crucified, buried and resurrected. His blood is shed. He's completely glorified and the price has been paid. And now he says to you and I, in this, this day and age where he has, been, he has paid the price and we come to him, we say, God, forgive me. He says, I forgive you. And we're put into the water, dead to ourselves. We come out alive to him, empowered by his spirit, so that baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are one. They're not different actions. And, 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 the, 
And the proof of this is we have the power to accomplish that which he's called us to do. Christ went in to this public ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the things that we witness in his life that you're going to see in the book of Luke is phenomenal. Now, John and Belinda are in Japan. And intellectually, they're doing the best they can and they're trying to come up with ideas and they're doing an English cafe and they're, and they're laboring and it's hard ground. Amen? And here we are in Thousand Oaks and it's hard ground. And we've been trying to engage in the political process and we're trying to engage in, in these things and those and, and we just keep hitting our head against a wall. You have not because you ask not. And what we're earthly fathers. And when our children ask us for something, if they ask us for, what was the scripture say, a piece of bread, we give them a serpent? No, we, we're, we're, we're flawed individuals. We still want to bless our kids. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, John 14? I want to give you this power. And yet, we'd rather dismiss that and kind of do it on our own. But who gets the glory when God does the work? He does. And you know what's amazing about this kind of power? It requires us to abide in the Lord. We'd rather figure it out on our own. You are an amazing legislator. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> People go, you're mayor. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I think of this. There's only one thing I can think of. 132,000 people in the city of Thousand Oaks. On that Tuesday night, there must have been a wine festival Monday before the election. Anyone who knows me knows that I stand in that position simply because God appoints all positions of authority. I would have never have dreamt or thought of this. And I have news for you. I may be in this position now. But what do you do now? What are we going to do now? We've got things to do in this coming year. There, there's, there's memorials to build. There's, there's homelessness to address. There's, there's things to, to, I mean, and, and inundated. And you know what I find? I, I am powerless. This is, this, is, this is something I can't do in my own ability. I couldn't even gotten here on my own ability. And I love it that God brings us to the end of ourselves and that's where he begins to do his greatest work. When we're wholly dependent on him. I have news for you. I can't face another day without his filling, his blessing, and his empowerment. I, I need him. Holy Spirit, fill me. Every, every time I'm up against something I don't Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you empower me? I don't even know how to wrap my mind around this. And the most amazing things occur. These things are synonymous, or synonymous, or however it is, tsunami. They come together. <laughs> how, do you, how, do you deal, how do you deal with the heaviness of it all? I, I can't stand going into hospitals. I hate it. My chest gets tight. It is a, it's a physical reaction in my flesh. 
The, the minute I walk up to the doors at Los Robles, I, I just, it, it's heavy. And I stand out front of the door and I just say, Lord, would you fill me? I know this is your desire, not my will, but thy will be done. I die to myself. I'm alive to Christ. Fill me and use me. I walk through those doors. And I, I, I say this, that when I go into a room, God uses me every single time. Every single time. My friend was just in a horrible skiing accident up in um, Big Bear. Broke five ribs and he broke his scapula. Had he not been wearing a helmet, he'd be dead. And, and he was at Loma Linda. They air, airlifted him to Loma Linda. And, and, and I'm sitting with my wife and it's that night as we gotten word of it. And I said, should I drive tonight? And, and she said, I think you should. And as I was sit, sitting on the couch, I prayed. And I, I sensed the Lord saying, no, don't go tonight. Go tomorrow. And I did, and I found out that had I gone that night, I, it wouldn't have worked out, and it really worked out when I arrived. And I got there, his wife was at the hotel, I came into the room, he was asleep, I sat down next to his bed, the nurse came in, and, and when I walked into Loma Linda, the last time I'd been in Loma Linda, my wife had almost died. I, I hate hospitals. Uh, that was one of the hardest things in my life. That was the same hospital, and just the memories. I remember just saying, God, would you fill me? Holy Spirit, fill me, use me, help me. I walked in, went up, sat by his bedside, began to pray for him. His wife said he's not remembering things. He's in a loop. His brain is really scattered. I was praying. The nurse comes in, says, I'm gonna wake him up. I said, okay. And I was just scared he wouldn't know who I was and he'd be discombobulated. The nurse wakes him up, puts the blood pressure. He's completely exhausted, massive pain. He turns to his side, he sees me. He goes, Rob, you came, you're here. I said, Tom, I wouldn't have missed it. I began to rub his head and pray for him. And, and it was like the Lord was just doing this work and comforting him and ministering to him, deep abiding ministry so beyond me, words coming out of my mouth, those aren't mine. I don't know what I'm saying. That's ecclesia or ecclesia. That is two or more gathered. That's the presence of God and the ministry taking place. That's abiding in the Lord. That's asking him for his strength. There's work to be done. You come here to this building and we gather and we get educated in some capacity, but the reality is if you want to have knowledge of what God wants you to do, and you're not completely a student of the scriptures and you're, you're lacking, any man who lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask. None of them had the New Testament. They, they remembered the things the Lord had shown them. There are times that I'll remember scriptures I'd never even memorized. Where does that come from? This is the power we need. And the two have to go together. We dedicate and commit ourselves to Christ that we are dead to ourselves, but when we come out of that water, we're alive to Christ, empowered by his spirit, baptized. And fascinatingly enough, these that are commissioned, these that are called, not only, not only is their skin permeated in this pickling process, not only is their skin permeated, but they're, they're absolutely infused with that which they've been baptized into, his love. You want to know this baptism of the Holy Spirit? One of the great fruits of it is love. Joy. 
peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. I'll tell you what, the world could sure use for a number of people in this world that are saturated with that, yes? Yeah, the picture is, is beyond anything we could imagine in this passage of Scripture. Jesus' baptism was one he wanted us to see that the day would come when he would pay that price and he would cover your sins and we'd be baptized into his death but raised in his life. A life of the Holy Spirit abiding, empowered and transformative. And then he would go in to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and God would use him to change the world. Now he was God. But he never used his deity to accomplish anything on this earth that you and I couldn't do in our humanity empowered by the Holy Spirit. What a picture. What a picture. I want you to glean from this. Because the beginning of all of this, and, and this will be open shortly, and I am lovingly pushing, <laughs> gently diligent, but the day will come when we'll witness these things. Some of you have never been baptized. It's not embarrassing. It's empowering. And all of a sudden you say to the world, I am a follower of Christ, associating myself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. His blood has cleansed me of all unrighteousness. And as I've come out of that water, his spirit has descended upon me in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I am now an instrument of righteousness on this earth, the ecclesia, the ecclesia. I am now to be used for his glory commissioned in these realms of the world that he has authority and dominion over principalities they're his and I'm going to claim them for his glory and be used for his glory